Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 212 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Lawrence McCure of Chainsaw Awesome Games about their rather innovative team shooter aftercharge. Before I delve into that, though, let's talk a little bit about Kane and Rince and the other podcasts under its umbrella. There is, of course, Kane and Rince out every Monday, where you delve deep into a game that all the hosts have played to completion. I know, strange, right? But yes, it's a thing that exists and you should really listen to it. We have Sound of Play, the excellent Wednesday release podcast, which talks about, well, actually showcases the scores of video games we play. We're not talking about numerical scores, I'm talking about musical scores. So yes, most excellent. Thoroughly enjoy that particular podcast. If you want to find out more about Kane and Rinse and what we produce, pop along to com, and you can find out more about this podcast and also blog posts blog post blog posts a lively forum i know an active forum in 2019 who would have thunk it but yes it does exist and there's also uh, details about our patreon there for if you really like what we do and want to support us just throw us one dollar a month that's all we ask and for that in exchange you'll get extra content you'll get extra long editions of cane and rinse you'll also get uh, uh, a unique sort of monthly podcast released by the founders of Kane and Rince, that is Jay and Leon. And there's also access to podcasts many, many, many months before they're released to the public for free, uh, the, the console exclusive. So far, there's been a Mega Drive one, then there's been a PlayStation one. They're currently out for the public. But right now, behind the Patreon paywall, if you may say so, is uh, the Game Boy one. So if you want to listen to that now, you're going to have to chuck us some coins. 70p in UK money currently, so uh, why not? But no pressure, don't have to. Anyway, enough of that. Let's move on to the show. Lawrence, who are you and what do you do? Hello, I'm I'm Lawrence from Chainsaw Some Games. I'm the marketing community manager, communications guy uh, for that studio in Quebec City, Canada. Of course, yes, Canadian land. So yeah. um, I first uh, uh, stumbled upon Aftercharge when at, uh, at PAX. Not sure if it was West or East. They kind of blur. I know I played it at West. Yeah, <laughs> Were you yeah, at East you played well? it at West. <laughs> yeah, we showed it. Um, we showed it at East 2018 and yeah. West 2018. Yeah, and we showed it at South 2018. Wow. It was a big year. It was a big PAX year. Yeah, we um, did all of them. All of the PAX. Well, not quite. Didn't do Australia. Let's not go crazy. True. True. Um, and it's quite interesting. For me, uh, PAX is like linked to REST and EGX as well. And I speak to a lot of developers. They go, oh, REST. I know that one. Can I go? I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of it. Like You talk about it, you describe it and go, 
Yeah, I want to go. <laughs> but Resed is, is, a, is an awesome show. This year, it's happening the weekend after PAX East. Like, oh. Just no rest for the wicked. <laughs> no, that's 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 too close. <laughs> too close. I'm going to do PAX that's East and then come yeah. home and then do Resed. It's like, what's that about? Anyway, enough about me and going to expos and you going to, and, do, and doing your booth stuff. How did you make your start in the video game industry, sir? How did you make your start? Um, I, I started working in a video game industry in, in 2012. That was a, kind of a long time ago uh, for a small independent studio in Quebec City. It was called Genia, but th- that closed down later. Uh, it didn't quite work out, but uh, I had a lot of time uh, while I was working at that studio to kind of um, wrap my my head around what's going on in the game industry, what are the trends, and how do you talk to your players, and really delve into community management. We had uh, browser games, very, very different market. Um, it was quite fun. It was my first starting experience. Then I, I moved on to Freema Studio, also in Quebec City. I didn't, I didn't move out. Uh, so uh, Freema Studio is a much bigger studio, um, ranging around 300 people. So they, they do servicing work, uh, but I was assigned to uh, the intellectual property. So games made by Freema Studio and published by Freema Studio. So, and I worked for a community manager at, at that place. Uh, so I really worked more into community management. That was straight up my role. Um, but then as time went by, I, I picked up a lot of uh, marketing and PR uh, tasks from the, the intellectual property team and worked on some B-Tycoon 2, Non-Attack, and Chariot. These were the, the bigger the bigger I've, I've played, uh, I've worked on. And then um, more more recently, in 2016, early 2016, I joined Chainsaw Some Games. It's a small uh, studio in, in Quebec City. Of, of well, when I when I joined, there were only three, so I, I joined the three co-founders and was a fourth one. Uh, and now we're ten. Uh, and we I, straight up when I joined, uh, they were kind of slowing down uh, on, on Night Squad, the previous game, and started working on aftercharge which is uh, out since last week so you and i first met when you were working at um uh, when you're working with chariot that you were promoting that which is a, it's a great game i did enjoy that it's a good it's a very beautiful sort of platformer but so but making the, the jump from from a larger studio to a smaller one again how have you found that Are you okay obviously oh i love that I, I love that because I was starting already to kind of crave for more responsibilities and more uh, freedom in, in what I could do in, in marketing at Freemo Studio, but it wasn't happening. Uh, so when I joined Chainsaw Some Games, we were uh, I was I was assigned to do pretty much all the community management, the marketing, and communication. So I had a lot of freedom, uh, a lot of, of trust was uh, given to me. So uh, I, I loved it, having, having like full control over that part uh, while I knew that the rest of the team were doing amazing things building that game. So uh, I definitely do not regret. Oh, no. It's destined for the moment. I'm just asking how that transition has, has formed out for you. Obviously, it's, formed out, it's, it's, it's panned out extremely well. And here we are to me again about an awesome game. Obviously, you have good taste as well because... <laughs> you know, have you found that when you're 
you know, marketing a product, and you, or, or, I don't even like the word product, a title, a game, a piece of yeah. work, um, that it's, it, it, it really helps that it sells itself a lot. You just yeah, of to, course. You just have to nudge yeah. it. You know, just like, just to shove it in well, someone's face. Yeah, you, but yes and no. You still have to. It's your job as as the marketing guy or the PR guy is to kind of take what the game is and like message it, message it simpler. Like mm. make make like there's a lot of complex mechanic in a game. You gotta like reduce it to one sentence or or a couple of snappy sentences that you can send at people. Uh, which will pique interest. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that many very, very good indie games uh, weren't uh, uh, such a success because they didn't uh, they didn't know how to properly pitch the game. Yeah, I mean, the game yeah, the first, could first, probably first. have perfect, but yeah. like you need to pitch it. And in order to pitch a game, it's not about telling all the mechanics. And how it looks like that other game, but then we added this mechanic and this other mechanic, and so on and so forth. You have to have a, a, a like a, a punchy, snappy message. Absolutely, and I think you know, for example, look at Rocket League. Someone says, "Oh, it's a, it's a kind of like a soccer game with cars." Get out! Yeah, no one wants that. Yeah. No one wants that. That's a terrible idea. Get out! And yeah. lo, everyone was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, or, or PUBG, you know, you, you talk about that and go, well, you actually walk around a field for about 30 to 40 minutes where absolutely nothing happens and then you get shot. Right. Yeah, well, that's basically <laughs> my experience with Battle Royale. It's not my type. I never find anyone and I get shot and I'm like, okay, that was exciting. <laughs> that was exciting. I got to the last 20. There you go. <laughs> By hiding behind this bush for 40 minutes. Good job, me. Good job, me. Nice spot for hiding. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my take on on, on the genre. It's, it's not my type. I'm I'm really not into battle royale. I like te- I like team games. So yeah, that's yeah, absolutely doesn't seem like one that's too focused on team uh, team working. Yeah, although I'm happy to say that after charge doesn't lean too heavily into the MOBA space. Uh, I hate using that phrase. Oh. I just pulled it out of my my mouth there. I'm so I feel ill. But you know what I mean. It's not. It doesn't really draw from that area at all. It's it's from somewhere else. But we'll talk about uh, that yeah. later. Yeah, we, we, we wouldn't put the the label MOBA at all on 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 aftercharge. It's it's closer to a team shooter. Yeah, like in of of um, <clears throat> Team Fortress or Overwatch more recently. No, so it's it's FPS yeah. at, at base. It's not a no, like, but you know you, you, the smite's also like a third person. Yeah, yeah, but that's still For, got, that's got NPCs running around. This game, yeah, it doesn't they have level that. up. Yeah, 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 unlock abilities and stuff. That's all MOBA mechanics that yeah. we, we don't have. No, 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 because it's focused and and uh, well, can be short. Although unless you get attrition mode, I'll talk about it. Keep saying, talk about it later. There's so much to talk about in aftercharge. It's bleeding into the first half, everyone. You know what that means? I'm getting excited. Uh, <laughs> what do you believe is the biggest influence that uh, Chain Awesome Games has as a studio? Um, for for aftercharge, uh, the point of the the starting point was uh, was evolve uh, ah. the asymmetrical um, game. 
design that you see in Evolve, yeah. uh, the idea that the two sides, they, they, they're basically different games, uh, but you, you kind of play together anyway. Uh, but we, we felt like something that was off, uh, a few things were off with, with Evolve, but one of the, the biggest problem was that the, te- the teams were not at the same size, uh, and that changed quite a bit, and, and, and that people always wanted to play the monsters because they're, they were more fun. And that, that kind of screw, screw up uh, an online multiplayer game when you have, like, you're playing favorites and you want to always be playing the big dude that's speeding up small dudes. Uh, so that's, that, I think that was the starting point. Uh, and then more precisely, what, what the game came to be in a very um, natural way. We, we have this, this uh, contest in, in Quebec City called the Pixel Challenge. It's a, it's a game jam. Basically, it's a game jam. It's a 48-hour game jam. And all the games made by Chainsaw Awesome Games were developed, prototyped during a game jam. So, uh, And Aftercharge wasn't an exception. So the, the very, very basic prototype for Aftercharge was made in uh, 48 hours. It was called Electric Panic. So it was not an FPS. It was not 3D, but it, it, the same mechanics were there. So we developed those mechanics of asymmetrical teams, um, one invisible uh, trying to attack and, and destroy things, and the other team having to kind of find them and stop them. That was already there in the in the electric panic prototype. So taking it to a higher level, what do you think triggered all of that? What was the what was the thing that that you couldn't quite grasp, but maybe you can try, try to describe it now after this period of time we've been working on on the after charge for this long was the thing that triggered all of that do you think that, that what, what drove you to make that what what is that that's what i'm trying to get at really or it's more nebulous than, than than what you're describing you're being very specific which is great well there wasn't yeah and, and but another um well once we we had the fun that that's mm. the idea there it's right. that's always how we work we tried it because it's a challenge. To, you're, you're challenged to try something in a very short period of time. Uh, we wanted there was a technical, technological aspect as well um, that wanted to be tried in a 48-hour window is to make it actually online because we we, we, we needed to. There, the two teams can't keep can't be playing on the same screen. Of course, one of the two teams is invisible. Uh, so that that for a game jam is impressive. So it was the goal there was to try to make that crazy thing in a short amount of time and practice making online, online multiplayer things. So we had these two things we wanted to try that made Electric Panic happen. So um, once that was done, we we actually we, we got second prized uh, during that event, and it kind of sent us the signal that there's there's something in there. It's it's fun. We should ah, explore. It was in, uh, it was engaging. It's something that you couldn't let go of. It was like a, you know, I was about to say a sore tooth, but that's terrible. But you know what I mean. You can't. You're locked onto something. It's like this is, thing is nagging at me. We can't just stop it there. This this there's something to it, and that that's what inspired you. There's the, the germ of an idea. That's the thing that to, to set you set you off. Is that probably a way to describe it? Yeah, I would say that, uh, yeah. and and that that the most difficult thing to find uh, when you're you're making a game and to secure is the fun. So once that was done, 
already in a short period of time. All we needed to do is do everything that's around it. We found the fun. Um, then let's dress it up. Like, let's. We completely changed uh, the point of view. We made it a FPS. We made it 3D. But we kept the same mechanics that were fun at some point. But they were still fun at the end of the day. Uh, at the end of the production cycle. Uh, so all we needed... It's, it sounded really simple. All we needed to do after that... Um, was to do all the different characters, make all the different maps, and make all the services work online, and have something really solid. No mean feat. <laughs> no. Pouring <laughs> content is, you know, once you get the mechanics down, it's the content. You start, you start pouring that in, and you go, oh, it's just, just taking so long. Like, yeah, that's just the way it is. Okay, well, that's that's a great, it's a great goal, a great thing to be, to be inspired by, to be driven by, to actually create something that's engaging based on a a kernel of an idea, a little acorn of an idea. If if it only spent forty eight hours making the thing, it turns into something big, and it's not for the first time that's happened. Game jams uh, are, are born many an epic title that we know and yeah. love. So yeah, well done. Thank and, you. And most of them don't actually win. The, they don't actually win the game jam. You know, the ones that are the most successful don't actually win the game because that's it's in another space. It's in a, it's in you know yes, ah, it's just very different. Yeah, yeah, it's being judged for its state actually, yeah. Yeah. and not for its commercial uh, potential yeah. later on. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's why so many uh, like local multiplayer games are are doing uh, incredibly good in, in like in game jams or even at, at the conventions uh but they're really hard to sell titles because yeah, yeah you because already have the setup for that you do it's an, i do find that you have that artificial experience where so oh we get sort of all your friends around like when does that happen yeah i mean it when doesn't i happen that much when i have that number of people in my home we're playing board games <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, or or any other games. Or any other like, games, yeah, yeah, because that's what you do. You know, it's not very common that you start staring at a screen because generally you don't. You're sitting there playing Concordia or something because <laughs> it's a really good board game. <laughs> so you know, I tried that one. No, it's good. It's good one. Um, I've, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's a bit of a Euro, but it's 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 good. It's a good one. It's not too dry. Dry, but not too dry. Um, but it's it's very well. It's it's like one of those ones that uh, you'd appreciate this. It's been play tested to death. It was play tested for two to three years before it saw any proper production. It spent a Whoa. long time, you know, gently three years for a board game. Yeah, that's, it's it's a lot. And then when they finished it, it went okay, this properly balanced, and now it's not unfair, and you can't exploit certain things, and you can't go over one strategy, and that's always going to work. Just like Aftercharge in many regards. It's not just one strategy. You can try, and we'll talk about it later because there's one strategy I keep on trying to exploit, and it sometimes works, but usually it doesn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but sometimes when it does work, people go, oh, hey, there you go, that, that worked. Yeah, it did. So my next question to you, what developer in the video game industry do you admire the most and Why? Um, well, personally, or like in relation to, um, I think it, it would. I mean, uh, it could be more than one. <laughs> so. Like, well, the, the one that first comes to to mind right now is um, 
the the guys from Runimo Games, the the one who made Awesome Knots. Uh, what's most amazing to me uh, from from these guys is how well they did with the again an indie online only multiplayer game. Yeah, which is a super tough sell. And they held on. Uh, they, they kept their community going for so long. They did end up going free to play, but it took so long. They add new content. Uh, they just did that so well. Uh, I'm I'm really impressed at what it- these guys managed to do with that 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 game, which was actually a very novel concept. Uh, having a MOBA, but a di- in a different point of view, yep. with a different art style. I yep. really enjoyed the game very much, but I'm mostly impressed how well they did. It's it's tough out there. It's a really really rough market. Yeah, um, and we've seen so many MOBAs come and go, but that one, yeah, does still stick around in the uh, despite the, the the behemoths that are League and Dota. Uh, yeah, you know, um, which are two games that have their own issues. Uh, but they are, you know, impressive. It's impressive to see them. And it's, I mean, we talked about MOBAs on the show before. Of course, we have. we've had some on. Sadly, some of them no longer exist. But um, it because it's so, so cutthroat, it's so difficult to get into that market. Um, and one would advise against it because it's a game that has players who aren't the star. I find it fascinating. Yeah. That's what MOBAs are. You're not the most important thing on the screen. No, it's all of you. You know, it's the point. You're working together. If you if you're gonna be a lone shark, go and play. You know, single player COD or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's not for you. You're not the start. The, the center of the center of attention isn't on you. It's it's everything else going on around you. You're just part of the machine to 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 overcome to to be to to win against the others. And then the others are trying to do the same with the same amount of tools, kind of. <laughs> And that's what I find MOBAs quite fascinating. But they are difficult to sell, you're right, because when you try to describe it to people and they try to play it for the first time, they're, they're so they're so conditioned to think that they are the centre of the universe and they are the most important thing on the screen. It's difficult. Yeah, to, but but that's, you know. I don't think that's the reason why I said it, it, it's, okay. hard, it's a hard sell. It, it's a hard sell because it is an online-only ah, multiplayer yes. game yes. that is yes. indie. Uh, yes, yes. So it's tough. Um, it's tough because you need player volume hmm. to get uh, a multiplayer uh, only online game going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. to keep that going for so many years, it means not only the game was good, but their community management and their marketing was on point. Yeah, because they, they managed to keep the machine rolling. I don't know if we're gonna be able to keep the machine rolling for aftercharge for five years. That's that's very long, and they're they've gone above that. I think now mm. it's, it's been out for more than five years. Yeah. if I'm not mistaken, yeah. it's it's crazy. So, anyone else? You think that you can sort of point out and go, yeah, you keep doing your thing. Right, right now, I'm I'm I would say I would say Blizzard, but that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, just because I'm I I like pretty much everything they do. So they're as a company. And they they they've nailed the polish so well that it's still fascinating. Um, so in in terms of of polish in their game and of course how they how well they handle the brands and the community management, which is always something I look at. No, it has some missteps. 
Yeah, of course. That, that, that whole but, mobile thing, oh, oh dear, that was... Yeah, that was a misstep uh, on the marketing end. Yeah. That's, of course, obvious. Yeah. It's not that... The, <laughs> It's not that the idea of making a mobile game is a bad idea. It's no. just that you, you don't front that to that audience at no. that moment. At that moment, That's yeah. the only thing uh, that was wrong with that. Making yeah. a mobile version of that Diablo is probably a very, very good idea. It's just wasn't the right time and the right place to no. say it. No. <laughs> when Yelly May said, oh, you have phones, don't you? Oh, please stop talking. Please stop talking. Uh, <laughs> You're not helping your cause any. Right, uh, that, yeah. was a, that was a that was a bit yeah, but it again wasn't a wasn't a community manager. No, 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 it wasn't. If it would have been, it would have been running on the stage going, "Please stop talking," <laughs> yeah. or indeed they wouldn't have actually let that happen. They wouldn't have. Let, yeah, don't do this. No, this is bad. This is a bad idea. Don't just just release it softly. Don't don't announce it. Just you know, put it out there. If it, people play it, then fine, awesome. They no, will. But, but you can't you can't announce it. Just just yeah. don't not on the stage of your biggest convention. <laughs> biggest convention where all the when people... you know that yeah. most yeah. most of your player base is PC. PC, yeah. And they, they, and, and usually that's a general rule, not necessarily apl- applicable to ev- everyone. Usually, yeah. PC players play on PC. They they're not necessarily. Uh, mobile players they they yeah. want they don't want the same experience on a different machine they want experience on on their pc so yeah but no i can take your point blizzard do know how to polish their their uh, games to death to the point where they actually do kill them when they realize that they can't polish them because they're not good enough which is yeah. it's a thing they do and then they made us they made overwatch so thanks for for that because you know that's helping you a little bit because you know team-based shooters that's one of the most celebrated, uh, and rightly so, rightly so. Yeah, yeah, uh, we, we we love Overwatch as well, and it's I think there's game, some. We take some inspiration in Overwatch in the small things, like the things that, like, like things we don't know how to do, like menus and stuff like that, and how to communicate to players. Like, should we tell them that they're in, in like? They're waiting in queue, and then how do we tell them? And how do we tell them they get rewarded? And what's usually what people are expected to see at the end of a match? Yeah, and yeah. that we all look at Overwatch in these cases, like how do these guys do it? If yeah. they do it in a certain way, it's probably a very good way. <laughs> Let's just do it. We don't have that expertise. No. We have never done a first-person uh, team team-based game no like no. it's 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 our first one so like it's i think it's a good idea to take inspiration from uh the big guys learn from the situations. best so to speak yeah um so my last question of the first half see you made it well done yeah. <laughs> the last question of the first half is uh as regular listeners will know i'm legally obliged to ask this because it's a podcast about video games so lawrence what are you playing right now uh, right now, I, I gotta be honest. I'm playing After Charge. That's the only thing I, I can I can play. It's gotta be something else. No, to be honest, I'm <laughs> only playing After Charge. We just launched it. Just launched it. So of of course, when I'm not working, I'm yes. playing After Charge, which is actually working in a certain sense. So I'm, I, I'm, that's okay. that's the only thing I'm playing. But I, I like like let, let's let's rewind. Two weeks. That's, that was good. Worth. That's good. Just okay, let's run right it. That was. I Christmas. was playing a, a, a lot of a Smash, nice. uh, the new Smash on Smash Nintendo Switch. Up, I'm, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm a, I'm a big uh, Nintendo Switch uh, 
I'm a big Nintendo guy as well. Right, I'm like a right. Blizzard slash Nintendo guy. Nice. So um, usually I, I I buy everything that comes out. So Smash so, was a uh, I, I waited for that game a lot. So did you get Diablo three then? I, I I didn't. No, I didn't because I already went through Diablo three on so PC. So I'm like, it's the same game. Yeah. So No, I'm gonna yeah. not gonna pay it again. No, no, me too. I. I must confess, a friend of mine convinced me to get the PS4 version because he was playing on PS4 and he said he wanted to play it with him. And fine. So I did that. But uh, other than that, like you, I have it on the PC as well and demolished it because it's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, but, it's, it's uh, a good game. And I so, didn't see like a, a, your reason to start over again on, yeah. on a different machine. So let me uh, ask you, what's your sort of favorite characters on the favorite sort of moves or environments you've got. And, I mean, it sounds a bit dry a question, but there's some really funny stuff going on with Smash Brothers Ultimate. It really is. Uh, yeah, yeah. But right now I, I'm, I, I'm a bit like – I'm a bit of a triard, so I, I, I like winning. So usually when I see, uh-huh. like, candidates that are better – uh, I I play I play a lot of Kinky Rule because he's completely OP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and, and in general, moment. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Donkey Kong franchise, so I, I love to okay. see that the guy was added. He's super good. Yeah, uh, I like him. I I I play Link as well. All the three versions of Link, uh, because it's usually the character I've played in other previous Smash. So. Like I, I feel at home playing Link and uh, Inkling because he's also uh, ranked quite high in like in tiers and stuff, and I, I love Splatoon. So I, I usually that's what decides which character I'm gonna play. Are they like objectively good? Yeah. And do they do they belong to a franchise that I know? Right. Like, do I have like a I have a feeling towards the character or not? Hmm. So I think these these are the. <laughs> Like my way to smash is one v one no item on on Omega stage, so that's mm. that's how I smash. Okay, okay. Uh, it's been. I mean, I've only played Malay and what was the one on the Wii? Oh, damn. Uh, it was there were, there were no names. It was just on the yeah. Oh no, it's on the Wii. It was called Brawl. Brawl. That was it. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they're great games. Don't get me wrong. I've got nothing against them. Whatsoever. Here's a man who thinks Soul Calibur is a fighting game. You and I know it's not. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's I just, haven't played a lot. No, it's great. It's great for button mashing. You can sidestep. That was it. When I was playing on the Dreamcast, or actually the Soul Blade on the PS1, you suddenly realise that you, it uses 3D space, and that means that when an attack come in, it was coming in, he just sidestepped away, and then it didn't happen. It's ridiculous. It's so broken, but it doesn't matter because it's Soul Calibur. It's a ridiculous yeah. game. It's lovely, but uh, no, I, I I sort of put them in the same kind of basket. They're just really good, fun um, beat 'em ups, and that's fine. Uh, they're not as um, technical as Tekken or indeed Street Fighter Five, etc. They're technical fighting games, and they have their own place, and they're great as well. Uh, but uh, they're not for the likes of button mashes that actually require you to. Use tactics of all things. Oh, very silly. Yeah. <laughs> so, great answers. I mean, personally speaking, personally, I actually finished Dragon Quest Eleven over Christmas. Um, oh, that's that nice. Was, that was a Heard thing. good things about it. Very pretty. Although, towards the end, I've min-maxed my characters to the point where last battle, I actually got up from my couch, made a cup of tea <laughs> while the fight was happening. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I was just like... I, 
Oh, fine. Off you go. I'm sure you beat it. And they did. Of course they did. But I just got to a point where the character was so overpowered, he was unstoppable. The, the, the party was unstoppable. Actually unstoppable. There was no risk at all. And there's no there's no difficulty setting in the game at all, so it's like, oh well. I just I just optimised it. I felt a bit bad, but I was like, or well, towards the end... Kind of broke the game, yeah. The idea, all I could see was the numbers, which, you know, that's terrible in a game when you can just see the numbers, to see the code or the patterns. And it kind of broke it for me. But the only reason I liked to finish towards the end is, I don't know what happened. The story was good. It was split up into three acts. It was good. It's good. But um, beautiful game. I highly recommend it, but it's not the best JRPG I've ever played. Far from it, I've played far better. But it's a good one. Good 7 out of 10. But anyway, enough about me and you about our video games that we've been playing. Let's go on to the second half where we delve deep into Aftercharge. I can sort of delve into not tear it apart that's wrong but sort of examine it there you go examine aftercharge we need to tell our listeners what is aftercharge so please do tell us what is aftercharge okay uh, gladly so aftercharge is a 3v3 competitive game in which one side is made of invisible robots and the other side is made of invincible guards so it's very asymmetrical in design. Like the two teams, they play very differently. One side is more like a stealth action game, kind of like a team stealth action game. So you have to kind of uh, wander around on the map and destroy points that we call extractors. Once you have destroyed all six, you win. And the opponents, of course, their goal is to stop that from happening. So you have to find you. Find your uh, find the invisible robots and take you down. That's pretty much it. That is pretty much it. I mean, there's some nuance there which we're going to delve into. Of course, uh, of course, but that's the that's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. First of first of all, all three people have different abilities. You know, they have yeah, some well, strengths there's... and different weapons. Like the humans have different ranged weapons. Uh, yeah. And, so uh, yeah, go on. Yeah. So there is five different characters you can pick from on the two sides but they do have similarities when you're playing the invisible robots no robots have weapons they only have their fists and they're all always invisible and they can all revive each other with no cost cast time or cooldown so that's every robots are like that they all each have one unique ability that's what you choose when you choose which character you go for and on the defender's side, the in- invincible guards, well, they, they do have ranged weapons. They have all uh, different uh, weapons, different guns. 
But they also have two different abilities they can use. Uh, very strategic abilities like traps they can put down or extra protection they can put on an extractor to make sure that this one is uh, more protected and to discourage uh, robots to go f to, for this one. Yeah, you can put walls down and all sorts of yeah. things. And grenades, there's the grenades. I love throwing those regular bases to stand in there, just constantly to tossing them out because they cover a large area. And, yeah, and, uh, and it discourages robots. It scares them. Yeah. They, they will not go there because you're you're throwing grenades. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, there's also the turret guy. I call them turret guys. They spin around constant near the near the near the charge pod because, by the way, everyone, uh, in order to maintain ammunition, you need to be near one of these six uh, energy points. Yeah, and uh, usually, the way they're spread out and dis uh, distributed across the maps is quite ingenious. Uh, they've clearly, you spent a lot of time positioning those because those maps and those environments uh, are been designed in such a way that they both help both sides, but it's very delicate. I mean. I found that the robots were in high positions is devastating because you can't, you don't know where they are. So yeah. if they're looming over you, to sort of like standing on a on a, a ledge or something or some bridge or you know, they managed to get up there. Don't know how you can get up. You can jump around and there's, there's platforms you can get on top of. There's verticality to these maps. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, some some map uh, do have more, and that was our idea when we designed those, those maps. Like. I would say that the quarry map, our, our map, the one, the, the first one we made is more like, I'd say, the basic map. And then all the three other maps that we made, we had a, a specific thing we wanted to experiment with, like uh, like high points on the on refinery or uh, trenches in Glacier. So uh, things we wanted to explore and see how will the game play in, 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 in this situation. Yeah. And there's one one map that was quite funny. Um, I think I think it's a quarry map. Um, I was standing on top. Uh, I was looking down, and my, the team. The idea was that my friends or my teammates would rush in, uh, and then when they get um, they they get um, killed because they would, I would then leap down from above, revive them, and run off. Yeah, and then they you, carry on. You stayed, uh, yeah, because they you were stayed away. They stayed away, and then they ran back up the same place where I come from because they didn't know where they came where I came from. They didn't know because they couldn't see me until I hit something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know where I was. This weird robot jumping from nowhere. They didn't. They couldn't. You know, it was wonderful, and it worked a little bit until they figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at some point, if they're good, they're gonna kind of understand what you're doing what and they're gonna stop it like, you. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't spawn camping; it was the inverse of spawn. <laughs> it was pretty spawn, much. Yeah, it was spawn revival. But there's a very important mechanic. Everyone listening is that robots um, can only be revived by the teammates. If they're down and out, their corpses remain on the map, and um, they just sit or lie there. <laughs> And until they're revived, they're just lying there visible. So you can't just respawn automatically. You've got to wait for someone else. Very important. Mm -hmm. Someone else, the other one of your two teammates, to come over and stop what they're doing, whatever that was they were doing, and revive you. Now, amount of times I've found new players, especially, don't get this. They don't understand it. They die, and then they said, "What was my revive? What? What?" <laughs> yeah, sorry, you have to wait for someone else. 
what? No one does that. You know, it's only weird medic people who do like medics from Team Fortress 2. Like, they're the ones that revive people. Like, no, you all do. You all do. Yeah, you're all equipped with a, yeah. a booster. Yeah. So you can all you can all revive yeah. uh, your teammates. And it's a very important part of the game. That's why we, we when we play, yeah. uh, we know that that rule that one of your ally, when one of your ally dies, you, what you, like you said, you stop whatever you're doing and it becomes your top priority. You got, you got to get that teammate back up. Yeah. Or if you wait too long, they, they're going to be all over him and you're, you're playing basically 2v3. You need to stop that yeah. uh, as soon as possible. Which leads me on to my first design question to you. And I just yep. want to, this comes across as a bit abroad, but we, a broad question. But I think we can narrow it down and see where I'm going with it. For me, one of the most uh, attractive aspects of Aftercharge is this. I believe, and you may disagree, but I believe every aspect of the game play itself the mechanics the design of it is built around team play three people against three people with a basic set of tools and a basic set of goals is that true and was that always the premise of the design of the game was it always about that absolutely it's always been uh, about teamwork and it's also one of the reasons the teams are so small it's 3v3 because we felt like having smaller teams are, is going to encourage people to, to work together because you, you kind of you kind of have a bigger impact as a, as a one individual. You have a bigger impact on, on, on the team as you are 33% of the team. While when you're playing like Overwatch, you're playing 6v6. Well, you know that even if you have one like deadbeat teammate, you can still kind of work it out and and win and as as one very good player it is possible if that if you're not playing as a team your team will will go down but it's even uh more important in after charge to play as a team because we we, we've put a lot of mechanics that are very team based right right when you're for example well the, the most obvious one is the one that you described that's when you're playing robots you need your allies to revive you, but you also need your allies to uh, give you charges uh, and, and, and use your abilities. So you can't do that without your teammates. No. Uh, so they kinda, you kind of work with that, and you kind of have to coordinate your attacks. Uh, if you're all attacking uh, at a different place in the map, and then you all get cornered, you all die, and it's GG. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but even when you're playing the enforcers, it's also about uh, communication, or at least uh, working as a team to cover as much as much ground as possible. You have six extractors to defend, and you're only three, so you can't be all uh, flocking as a team of three and moving from one place to the other because the robots will always have one step before you. Yeah, yeah. There's very different ways of doing it, but you just got to find the, the bots before they arrive. That's the key. Yeah. And the only way to do that, well, to say only, <laughs> you got to cover as much area as you can, but you have to accept the fact you're going to lose at least two to three of them. Yeah, and of course. Within, within, you... There's nothing you can do. It's, you're going to lose them, but you, the way you do it is you exploit um, the because the, the, there's a timer and they've only got so long to do the job. So, Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, uh, I say a timer, but it's more like you've got to 
you've got to exploit the fact that at the beginning the humans have all of the area of the map to their to their disposal, and they can they can mount a significant offense. The only thing I've got against them is there's there's no there's no you can't see the robots, you can't see the other side. You actually cannot see them until they actually do something that interacts with the environment, which is brilliant. Um, so until they do something, they can't be seen, which is very sort of very D and D like trope. You can go. In Dungeons and Dragons, you can be invisible until you actually attack someone, then you're no longer invisible, which makes perfect sense. Um, and uh, in this game, what I found is that you know, you if all three robots die, by the way, uh, then it's game over for the robots. If all yeah. six canisters get blown up, it's game over for the humans. That's the game over. So, so there can be wars of attrition because of that rule, um, because you can have two very equally sort of. Um, adept players that uh, realise that wow, this is really going on for some. You know, a twenty thirty minute match is quite rare, but can happen. Well, uh, in theory, yeah. But yeah. Uh, when you get the the orbital strike, so after we yeah. don't have a hard timer, so we have a yeah. kind of a soft timer. When when yeah. you reach uh, seven minutes, if I'm not mistaken, you start getting orbital strikes. Yeah, strikes. So the, these will slowly each. Each one of them will slowly reveal the entire robot team a little bit more. Yeah. So at some point, it's it's like at some points the robots are completely visible. So yeah. in in this situation, our their chances of winning are extremely thin. Extremely thin. <laughs> yeah. So there's a timer. There is a soft timer, as I said. Uh, but there's other ways. It's, it's, there's mechanics here. But no, uh, thanks for for highlighting the the, the team play and the fact that the, you you've been very focused on maintaining that. You could have easily gone off piste and gone off and gone off to make a feature that wasn't in wasn't enhancing that. And I think it's very laudable that you've actually said no. The premise of this game is about working together as a team. If there's anything we add to this that dilutes that in any way, I believe you've actually avoided it. Is that I think that's fair. Yeah, there's, well, if if we if we made a game and we felt like people weren't would be playing as a team, that then that was not the was not the initial design. And I think we yeah. we we managed that. For I can see it right now because I'm um we have a Discord community. We have a lot of players that are in there, and they're always like looking for groups. Like I want to play with two other people. Uh, like you can solo queue in after charge. You can definitely do that, and you uh, will match you with teammates. But it's 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 I guess it's more fun when you you know your two teammates and you communicate with with each other and you really want to win. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I just that endorphin, that sense of camaraderie, that work, when something when a plan comes together, it's nothing like it, nothing like yeah. it, especially in this game. Um, I want to ask about the corpses of the robots. This is the second question. Yeah, the humans can move them, everyone. If you haven't yep. played the game, you can push them. <laughs> it's, it is the most delicious thing to do. Because <laughs> you're like, all of a sudden, at one point, the robot who was in, that particular robot was in control while they're invisible. And now they're a lifeless husk on the floor. And you start shoving them around and you move them into a tactical place, which is horrible for them to be revived. It's, it's great. I want to ask... How did this design come about? Was it a late edition? Was it something? Tell me, how did this arrive? It's genius. Mistake. <laughs> it wasn't intended. It wasn't intended in any way. 
Um, but we 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 found that that it, it, just in the physics and how I guess Unity works. I, I'm I'm not technical, so I don't know how things work exactly. Uh, but while playtesting the game uh, amongst ourselves, like way back in 2016, we discovered that hey, when you walk, we're walking to a dead body. We actually move them yeah so we've we've played that quite a bit at the studio and we figured it's way too much fun we can't we absolutely cannot remove it so we'll we'll be designing around it it's usually something that we do when we find something that's fun we don't like question it we say it's fun so let's keep it so let's design everything around it so it it works so right now we couldn't possibly remove that that feature because we've designed everything else around it like the enforcers at a certain level the enforcers would have no chance of winning if they couldn't push they couldn't push the dead bodies they need some kind of control over these these uh, these robots it's just so funny it's just like when you come out of the it game is very and you, fun and, you, and you just like the players go i can't believe you did that why were you shoving my corpse why wouldn't you <laughs> You know how this works. <laughs> it's brilliant. So thanks for adding that. And I love the fact that it came out of a bug. <laughs> it's not really a bug. It's, it's just, just that, like, I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't it's say that it's, it's uh... like a, a, you realize you've got collision detection on something that you didn't think yeah. you'd add on. Because typically when, a, when there's a corpse there, you just, it, the collision detection goes, you just turn it off. I know it's not yeah. how it works. I'm a coder myself. I know it's way more complicated than that. But basically, it ceases to be an interactive object, but for some reason you left that on. Yeah, exactly. That that was definitely not intended. No, uh, but no. it was it was too much fun. We, we we like found out. Oh, there's so much strategy around that thing. Like, it's 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 way more fun for enforcers if they can kind of have more control over. They know that their objective, like it becomes their primary objective when they have one down. Is to make sure it never goes back up, like to, to cover as much space oh, yeah. as they can yeah, around you it, because you and just, secure it. If it's one down, there's only two left to go, and then you exactly. take one of them out. There's only one, and, and when you me, when you there. have two dead, when, yeah. when you have two taken down, yeah, you're bad. in a really good spot. Like you're, it's <laughs> only about finding where the third one is. Well, well, if by any mistake, good, yeah, the humans are the yeah. robots are in the terrible and when you have you i'm gonna say it you have the idiot yeah <laughs> you go, oh god this is the idiot it's it's like it's that person who hasn't quite got the game and they just started playing i shouldn't call them that i should call them inexperienced that's better yeah and like, it's oh, a noob. The, 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 well don't use it yeah the ones who's just learning that's fine I've been there. I know what it feels. Please, I'm over here. No, don't. Don't hit a canister. <laughs> Defeat. Yeah. Well, well uh, a common mistake would be not, not immediately taking action over the fact that your two teammates are down. For yeah. example, I've seen that a lot when I, I played against beginners. They're, even though they understood most of the concept of the game, yeah. their two teammates got taken down, and they still went and punched one extractor. Like, I'm going to do some progress on those extractors. Please don't. Well, you, it's pretty much done now because yeah. you have given away your position. Yeah. All the the three other one enforcer, all they have to do is kind of converge on that spot, 
if they all take three different paths, they're probably going to get you. So you need to immediately stop giving any cues on your position because you're you're all that matters for them yeah, at that until point. Until you revive someone. The yeah, only, and then, that's, and that's fine because you're sacrificial then because someone you're not. I mean, you need to stay alive as much as you can, of course. It's fascinating. A wonderful concept. And just the, I love the fact that you're forced, like, what about the overall game? doesn't matter. Well, no, it does matter because it's about keeping people up. And you're going to yeah. get, you know, and you haven't got, you haven't got much time anyway because the airstrikes are going to come in pretty soon. So, yeah, yeah anyway. Third question. I've noticed during many matches of Aftercharge that the theatre of battle changes quite subtly over time. It's a, You can plot it out. I'm sure you've done this as part of your studies and when you're working. But the theatre of battle, I say battle, it's a bit of a strange one, but the, the game experience, the environment, the, the rules, the uh, criteria, everything changes over time. How do you believe the game communicates this to the player? You mean that when you progress into a single match, uh, there, there, since extractors are digging down, it changes how mm. players approach it. Yeah, so the environment is changing. Yeah. So, for example, the, the the canisters are very bright and they have a big beam shining into the sky, and you see those being knocked out. I mean, so the the actual map changes. Because yeah. At one yeah, point, well, they- this is a strategic position, a very important position. And then next minute or so, it's no longer very important because it's been blown. It's no one cares about. It. People are just running over the top of it now. One yeah, minute, it's, a, yeah. yeah. So I just want to. How do you think? I know how. I know how personally Aftercharge does communicate this to the player. But I want you to tell me how do you think Aftercharge does communicate to the player that the rules of the battle are changing and they're changing well, very quickly. What do you think it does? Well, I think what does communicate most of this are are, are, are sound cues. Right. Uh, so when you're playing after charge, you gotta have uh, like either the volume really high or a headset because we are communicating communicating a lot of things through audio and things that are extremely uh, important. Like when you're playing, uh, like when you're attacking an extractor, it makes a, a global sound. Like we'll. You can't hear it from anywhere on the map. So enforcers are alerted that one extractor is being attacked. And of course, if that extractor blows up, it, it shakes the screen and, and makes quite a big noise. You know that you got one down. And that means that spot is lost. You, you, it's, it's, it's kind of like I'd say that it becomes robot territory. When you start the, ma- the, the match, most of the map, there's like extractors that most places on the map so the territory is all enforcer and the robots they are they are kind of roaming around trying to get a spot somewhere that's not getting watched over and as the match progresses when enforcers are losing extractors they're losing ground they're losing territory because if they if they don't have any uh, extractor clothes they can't fight because they need extractors to recharge their weapons so i'd say that that this is this is how uh, players can kind of feel it when you're playing enforcers you know that that big sound of an extractor exploding is oh things are not going as as well and when playing robot it's it's a win and the opposite 
is the sound of uh, one robots being taken down, uh, which is something that's also very crucial mm. uh, when you when you're playing enforcers. When you hear that, you know, okay, we got one down, and then you you hear your teammate taking another one down. Okay, now we have two down. There's only one left, and it's very important. And when you're playing robot and you hear that sound, you know, it's it's really something bad is happening. So you lost one of your allies. You need to switch gear and start looking for him and looking for a path to get to your ally. Yep. Yep. It's you're right. Sonics, that's what I was trying to drag out from you. It's that's exactly what you've done. There's a lot of visuals going on, don't get me wrong. And you can see where how the theater battle is changing, but really and you can see where people are running around or not, as the case may be. <laughs> um of course when you're a robot you can see your your compadres running around because you're a robot. But that makes sense. Last question. I know, all good things must come to an end. But here it is. I found that when I'm playing the robot side, they are mounting a kind of guerrilla war against the humans. And I've found that one strategy, which you may disagree with, but it does work sometimes, is that you make small and frequent attacks at lots of power pods scattered around, so there's no one particular one that you're attacking until eventually you take out many at the same time. Um, now, it's quite effective because it causes a lot of disarray for the humans, as long as you can pull it off. I'll ask, um, what have you done in the design of Aftercharge to counter not only that strategy, but other strategies? Can you give us some examples of what you've done to make sure that, oh, wait, this these all pieces fit together, and then it, you can't defend them? There's no counter against this strategy because that's the one one thing about team game team team games especially in a map and set maps is that there's suddenly there's an exploit that you realize that you can't actually break what have you done apart from playtesting of course what other things have you done to mitigate against that well that mostly you had to mention it so i have to say that's the, the number one thing we did is playtesting it we've run a lot of betas so we kind of look we looked at what players tended to do. We know that our players, aftercharge players, and uh, are usually all about winning. They want to win. So if they find a strategy that's definitely broken, they are going to be using it. Um, so every time we, we found a strategy that was used too much and was not intended, we worked around it. Um, and and we, we fixed something that could impact it. And the, this the strategy that you're describing, very, very few players are actually doing it. It's a good strategy. It's a very good strategy. It's safer. Um, but again, uh, when you do that, it's, it's, it's taking the game a, a lot longer to actually get an extractor down. So you're, you're, keep, you're letting the enforcer have a, a, a larger territory for a longer time. That's the risk. Because you're not taking down any extractors completely. No. But the counter to that, it's still it's still quite possible to win because the enforcers don't really need to uh, prevent you from destroying all of them. They need to take you all three of you down. So you need to switch your, your thinking there. It's not about defending the extractor that much. It's more about finding and taking down the robots. Yeah. So it's all about finally taking one down protecting it, making sure no one gets it, and then hunting down the remaining robots. Yeah. If you spend your entire game like besides an extractor saying, hey, they, they have to come here, so they're going to come to me, and I'm going to defend it, 
the, the, the robots are going to stump you because they, they will be using all the other extractors to kind of charge themselves up, use all of their abilities on top of you on that last extractor, and you're going to die. Yeah. Enforcers, if, they, if the enforcer wants to win, uh, he, he has to, to hunt you down. Yeah. They can't just be uh, camping. They need. They can be no, partially no, no, no. camping dead bodies, but they need to be searching for the other robots that are roaming. Uh, that that's how they win. Yeah, and I think for me, when that strategy you can pull it off. It's an amazing thing when you take three of them down at once, and it's like, wow! How is that? Well, because we've been whittling away at them, but you haven't got a lot of time to do this. So it's normally no. you sort of go, you go two or three hits, and you run off. And to keep on doing that over like four of them, not all of them, because you can't do it. So you just sort of try to sort of spread your attacks. And what I found is really good players go, oh, I know what they're doing, I know what they're doing, I know what they're doing, hunt them, hunt them down. They're, they're doing it, they're doing it, they're chipping away. This is bad, this is bad, because you know you can't really defend against, it's difficult to defend against three, four bases rather than just one or two. And, yeah, it's, no, it's it's usually you yeah. you at least it, it happens like very yeah. very good teams against not so good teams yeah. uh, can actually uh, finish the game before even a single extractor is destroyed. But that's that's really hard. Yeah, and, and how you do that is to be super aggressive. Yeah. is to get to the robots before they get to extractors or or scare them so much that it won't have. They won't be focusing on taking out extractors. They will be barely keeping themselves alive, trying to, oh, I'm going to get you my ally. Oh, I'm down again. And you keep trading, and then your robots are not focused. They're not They're not working the objectives. They're just trying to stay alive. And, and that's also, how you win uh, a zero extractor is destroyed. There's also a bit of a mental warfare going on as well, because for you to take more than one extractor out at the same time is you know, morale boosting to the ro- robots, but to the humans, like, oh, how? <laughs> yeah. like, how did you let this happen? Like, well, they were whittling away at them. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. They've been working the entire yeah, match been, on this. Exactly. They've been working away at this. They've been chipping away. This is guerrilla warfare. And it's like, oh, this is horrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> but there's ways, like I said, the game has so many ways you can defend against that. And also, the robots haven't got time to bide. They can't, you know, if they're going to do that, and it's a good strategy, like I said, it's very confusing, it's difficult to defend against, but to achieve it, they've got to do it very quickly. So it's against, you know, so it works against it. You're, you stop, it doesn't come across as particularly efficient because you're you're spreading your attacks so across the vast area of the map, but it does it makes it difficult for the humans to track you down. It's just... Yeah. I found it's the most successful, provided you've got a team that's working, they all agree to it and they all know what they're doing. So, yeah, it's fascinating. This is the, one of the many strategies that I adopted, but that was one of the most satisfying to pull off. Yeah, it, when you, it, yeah, when you get to the end and they're like, okay, we're good. We have not lost a single extractor in this in this match. Yeah. We're doing amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, they, all of them blow up entirely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, then, oh, okay, that's what we messed up. That's yeah, what we like, messed up. How did this, and then it's just the morale drops just that two or three seconds because they, they, some people take, they just stop playing. They just, like, the jaws have dropped like, how did this yeah. happen, you know? And then they, they're like, the one no. Then, then you go to, Then while you've got that little window of time where they don't know what to do, they're panicking. 
and you then go off and do another one because <laughs> they panicked. It's just so good. It's so so good. Uh, and then you you can't do that. You can't do that again. And then you do a more traditional um, tooling and throwing. Two people on one extracted, the other one distracting the other one, or so, reviving. That's what we do for the rest of them. It works, but you know. <laughs> right, after charge is out now. Hooray! Yeah, it is. Congratulations. Thank it's on you. Windows PC is that right at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's on Windows PC and Xbox One. Uh, that's our main platform at the oh, moment. Excellent. That's that's what I have an Xbox One X. And, oh, uh, then that you, uh, do you have a Game Pass? Because we're on, on Game Pass. Yes. We, we launched yes. directly into Game Pass, yeah. and it's giving us a, a lot of players. So yeah. to your listeners, they don't have to worry. We have plenty of players going. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the, uh, a thriving community, and it's fantastic. And the reason I mentioned it, I, I, over Christmas, I actually got a 4K television, finally. Oh, uh, nice. HDR, finally. So it's got both. It's got HDR, and it's curved as well. Some people don't like the curve. I kind of like it. <laughs> Never quite tried it. Yeah, it's nice. It's good. There's something adds. It adds something. There's a little bit of a, I don't know, all-encompassing vision. It's good. It doesn't mess it. It, it makes it, um, playing uh, After Charge even more um, enthralling, I have to say. There's a bit of immersion going on. But anyway, Lawrence, has been fantastic. Thank you. you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Um uh, I can't congratulate you enough on After Charge. It's been really interesting talking about the intricacies of designing multiplayer squad um, team-based games. It's not easy. It's uh, And uh, you've done an excellent job with this. When I first saw it at PAX, I was very, very impressed. And the booth you had there was just stunning. So well done. Such a Thank you. That... How you did that, I do not know. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's I'm pretty proud of it. It's it's a company based in, in Montreal who uh, did the frame, and then we it's it's all it, it can all fold, so we can ship it for very very low costs. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's a great looking booth. And it's just like you split the you know, three desks, three desks, and yeah. people sitting there. And it wasn't you didn't do the horrible you know shoutcaster thing. You just let them play, and uh, it's just fantastic. And you had the central screen showing what was going on, and you know it really it streams well. I've got to say it. Oh, it really does stream well because people in chat going yelling, going, "What are you doing?" Like, I've got a plan. <laughs> I've got a plan. Stop distracting me. I know what I'm doing. But yeah, it does stream well. I know that's not why you made the game. You made the game to have people play with each other and have a good time, and that's what matters. And you've done that. So again, uh, I just got to thank you for that, and uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure, Chris. <laughs> 